devastation, not just human lives, but the devastation economically, the devastation of capital markets, will literally take us 10 years, will take a decade to t go through the carnage that the Chinese Communist Party visited on the rest of the free world. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. I'm Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now. Today we are going to hear from Stephen K. Bannon, a leading expert on many topics, including China. President Trump called Steve his best student. Steve is a frequent guest on new shows asking his views on the pandemic. Steve served as chief strategist for President Trump in the White House. He is a former investment banker and continues to be a powerful force in the media. These days you can hear him on his War Room 2020 podcast and you can watch him live stream his daily show. His Twitter handle is hashtag wallroom2020, and you can share your views with him at hashtag wallroompandemic. Welcome to the Code Red Podcast, Steve Ben. Hey, Alan, thanks for having me on. Uh, Steve, uh, thanks for taking the time, and let me start with a general question. Steve, recently the University of Southampton in the United Kingdom issued a report which concluded that if China had reported the coronavirus as it occurred, it could have reduced the spread of the virus by 95%. Can you comment on the role that China has played in spreading this virus around the world. Alan, that's a great report to start off with. And I would tell all your listeners and all members of your over 4 million members on Facebook that they should, uh, they should read that report. In fact, if you go to, uh, if you go to uh, uh, warroom.pandemic.org, which is the website we have to back the show, War Room Pandemic, and you can get it on hashtag War Room Pandemic, that report is one we have up prominently displayed. And here's the reason. A totally independent university research group, not a, not a pro-Trump group, not a pro-MAGA group, not a, a anti-CCP uh, group like uh, the Committee on the Present Danger and other things that I'm associated with. This was just a group of researchers. And what it showed is that the, the Chinese Communist Party uh, knew about this virus. Some patient zero happened sometime between mid-December, or excuse me, mid-November and early December and that the Chinese Communist Party officials knew about it no later than the first week of December of 2019. That's why it's called COVID-19. This thing started in 2019. We know now as a matter of fact that President Xi, because he was under such tremendous pressure because of how out of control it got in Wuhan and Ube province, that he actually had and admits to having, I think it was January 2nd of 2020, a teleconference call with officials at Ube province in Wuhan, where, which is the epicenter of the, of the pandemic. And so, and by the way, he never notified the White House, never notified anybody that had a huge contingent of, I think, 50, uh, 50 members of the senior level of the Chinese Communist Party that went to the White House for the signing of the phase one China trade deal 
And in addition, they sent, I think, 350 people to Davos to the World Economic Forum. So they put Wuhan on lockdown, basically quarantined on a city of 14 million people on the 23rd of January. Hubei province, they, they shut down the province the size of France with over 80 million uh, citizens of China that live there. Uh, but they never notified the world until those happened. So essentially, the way I calculated it, it was two months, 60 days in which this, uh, this uh, virus metastasized to the global pandemic. And I got to tell you, the devastation, not just human lives, which has been horrible on health, but the devastation economically, the devastation on capital markets, will literally take us 10 years, will take a decade to t go through the carnage that the Chinese Communist Party visited on the rest of the free world. Steve, what do you feel about the criticism that has been lodged against the World Health Organization? Basically, there are critics who say that WHO, the World Health Organization, actually helped China cover up and then spin the narrative that China was not responsible for the spread of the virus. Alan, that, that's a, another great question. Uh, and, and here's why this is such a great question. This deals with not just the World Health Organization, this deals with many uh, international institutions, both associated with the UN, associated with IMF, associated with the World Bank, that has taken Chinese money and influence and essentially become part of an influence operation of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, the, the head of the World Health Organization, I believe, comes from the Maoist Party of Somalia. Uh, he's a very controversial figure. He basically countered to the Chinese Communist Party on two visits to, uh, to Beijing in January. He never called it a, a pandemic until about 10 days ago. Uh, the World Health Organization has been horrific in what it's done to really alert the world to what the problems were. The, one of the reasons is, is that the Chinese United States, the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, is the second biggest donor to the World Health Organization, but they've also gotten into the bureaucracy in Geneva. The World Health Organization, to me, is rotten from stem to stern. It's got to be reviewed. Its performance, its performance in this pandemic has been absolutely abysmal. They've countered to the CCP. They have not forced uh, outside organizations like themselves and CDC and others to actually even get to Wuhan to look at primary data. Today, there are many prominent people on the right that are making the argument that somehow this must have come out of the P4 lab that is in Wuhan. But I think Senator Cotton says it's best. It's incumbent upon the Chinese Communist Party to give us this data. The reason we don't have it today, the reason it hasn't been forced to, to serve it up, is because the World Health Organization has done a terrible job at being an independent arbiter of what went on here. And i got to tell you, I believe there's going to be huge, massive changes at the World Health Organization. And I cannot see the United States going forward supporting that organization unless there's radical changes at the top and new leadership that's independent of the Chinese Communist Party, their money and their influence. As we go forward and we're getting bombarded with news about the pandemic, it seems to me that information that is coming out of China and the World Health Organization is taken at face value by the mainstream media.
Can you comment on that? How can we trust any of that information? Some of it could be extremely vital um, as to how we should address the virus. Can you comment on should we trust these guys and what they're telling us at this point? Alan, that's a, another great question. It plays in many different areas, but let's focus on the pandemic. As people have known for years in the financial community, the, the information you get, the top-line information you get out of China on GDP growth, on anything really in finances, is basically fantasy. They tell, you, they tell you what they want to tell you and how they position it. Here, every number you're seeing that's come out of Hubei province or Wuhan or the Chinese Communist Party is a lie. Okay, they've downplayed this from the beginning. They've never given a, 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 an accounting. And we know this because there's been enough uh, citizens of those areas that have been so distraught. Remember, the greatest victim of the Chinese Communist Party is the Chinese people. Of the 1.4 billion people in China, only 90 million are in the Chinese Communist Party. And quite frankly, only about 10,000 of those matter. This is still a, it's a gangster operation run very much like the Imperial Court of old China, run by about 10 to 12 families. Everything they say is a lie. They're a total gangster organization, and they fed completely false information to build into a false narrative the entire time. And what's so stunning is that the mainstream media in the West just takes this, this is a united front disinformation campaign. They take it and they print it. It's been one of the problems that people in the West have really had to kind of analyze this and see what the situation is. Remember, you go back to the book, Unrestricted Warfare, and I would recommend strongly that every person associated with your organization and with the four million people on Facebook go to Amazon and get a copy of Unrestricted Warfare. It costs about 30 or 40 bucks. It's a, it's a book by two Chinese colonels in the PLA back in the late 90s, and it lays out the war plan of the PLA. It identifies, Alan, that there are three types of warfare in the 21st century. Information slash cyber war, economic war, and kinetic war. And they make a case that they are decades or a century away from being able to take on the West in kinetic warfare. So that the West must be destroyed by both information warfare and uh, economic warfare. And their information warfare campaign is stunning. How they use useful idiots in the mainstream media, how they use useful idiots in, the, uh, in these major international organizations, how they use a bot army called the Wu Mao 50 Cent Crew, which is a massive bot army that can go and attack anybody that stands up to them. It is stunning the level of offensive information warfare that they visit on the West every day. One of the central things is the numbers coming out of this uh, out of this uh, out of this pandemic to wit they just announced the other day they have no they have absolutely no new cases uh, coming out of wuhan people in wuhan on the ground know that's alive number one they're not testing number two there are victims every day and the dead in in china is in the hundreds of thousands because of this the infected are in millions and so every number they've given this thing of eighty thousand and two thousand dead is an absolute joke Thank you for giving us the references. Uh, we will follow up on them, and we will, in terms of getting information, not only about the pandemic, but how the Chinese communists operate. I also urge all our listeners to go to Google, put in War Room Pandemic, and you'll be able to get the most up-to-date 
information coming from Steve and his team on the pandemic. And we will, of course, reinforce this and give you your contact information as we put out mailers and other posts on Facebook. And one thing in conclusion, particularly for your organization, this has to be looked in the broader context of the Eurasian landmass. What you're seeing is an active participation, and this is why the city of Qom in Iran was the second big hotspot before Italy. The Iranian mullahs, that, that regime in Iran, is a junior partner to the Chinese Communist Party in trying to control the Eurasian landmass. The Iranians are kept alive by the CCP. This is why they've had this massive outbreak in, in, in Qom. That's why I'm such a huge advocate, and your group is one of the most powerful groups out there, to make sure that President Trump does not ease up on the sanctions. Uh, some humanitarian things can be fine, but not lift up on the sanctions, unless of which they're begging for, because this virus that's exploded in the area of Qom, where their nuclear engineering school is, and that's where there are many Chinese uh, officers down there. That's had spread down there. The, the Iranians and the Chinese are the great existential threat to the, to the United States and to the uh, industrial West, to Israel, to all of our allies, to the Christian West, you have both the Chinese Communist Party, not the Chinese people, but the Chinese Communist Party connected with these mullahs in Iran, and they are an existential threat to us, they're an existential threat to our allies and our civilization, and they must be confronted. Can I ask you, Steve, I've been saying, and I'm curious if you agree with me, that President Trump's early response by stopping travel between the United States and China probably will end up saving many, many lives and was one of the most constructive things in fighting the virus that we've seen in the Western world. You're absolutely correct. Let's, let's go back to the timeline and make sure we get very granular about this. The Chinese Communist Party that knew about this from at least early to mid-December, did not put Hubei province and Wuhan on lockdown and quarantine until the 23rd of January when it became too big to hide it from the world. President Trump basically stopped all air traffic from China on 31 January. They made the decision on the 30th day. I think that, that day they locked it down the 31st. Plus, in addition, and this gets lost a lot of times, Alan, he quarantined everybody coming back from there. That had not been done in 50 years. That, that decision bought us time. The other was obviously shutting everything down from Europe because Europe had had so much travel from China that it started to explode and they weren't really taking care of it. So President Trump's had some incredible power moves on this to really limit, uh, limit this environment. Now let's just hope he continues with his power moves. He's obviously under a lot of a lot of pressure on the economy side now, but this is the CCP lied about it. it, never told anybody about it, but Trump stood tall, and that, that uh, movement he made and decision he made on the 31st of January will be looked at as saving, I think, at the end of the day, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives. Steve, putting on your economic hat, and we know you've had a successful career in the finance world, and you are one of the most serious economic thinkers uh, in the public space these days. Can you comment on 
the tactics that the Democrats are using as President Trump and the administration is trying to address the severe economic challenge that is before us because of the virus? Yeah, here's the way I think it's a great question, Al. Here's the way I think people ought to try to think about it to kind of get their head around it. We, it's three burdens that kind of come together and become inextricably linked. Number one, you have a global pandemic, okay, that's causing an economic crisis on top of that. This economic crisis is kind of bifurcated. One, it's the leveling of the, of the transportation business, of the, of the entertainment business, of the restaurant business, of, uh, you know, um, airline industries, all of that. That's at one level. That's this drop in aggregate demand. The second is also gets down to the supply chain, and that's twofold. Number one, the medical supply chain, where China makes everything for us, whether it's our drugs, whether it's the masks, whether it's the consumables and the gloves and all that. But deeper, it's a supply chain that they actually make all the advanced manufacturing today, and we're like a tributary state. On top of that, on top of this pandemic and this massive economic crisis, which right now looks like it could be a Great Depression-type economic crisis, you have on top of that a financial crisis. This has caused a complete meltdown of the global capital markets, both equity securities, debt securities, sovereign debt, even gold to a large extent. And the reason is that it looks like the economy could be absolutely in a free fall because of the pandemic, and the pandemic doesn't look like either Europe or the United States are really coming to grips with it, okay? That is caused, uh, so to solve this, you need to somehow either lock down the country like the Chinese Communist Party did in China, or to somehow have some distancing. We've been trying a one way, which is not a hard lockdown, but whether you go hard lockdown or not, you have to infuse the system with cash. You just can't allow all these small businesses and the little guy not to have a paycheck. That's going to be one, two, maybe three trillion dollars. We don't know yet. It's got to bridge you to the other side of this, which is either going to be in two weeks or four weeks or six weeks. But it's some time of duration that you can kind of get your head around. On top of that, you've got to have the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department merge the balance sheet and start to go and give a backstop to corporate credits so we don't have a liquidity crisis in the capital markets turn into a solvency crisis of our companies. Now, the Fed started to do that today with a couple of trillion dollar, what we call bazooka. So it's those three things that we're trying to pull together. Now, this bill on Capitol Hill is the initial part of that middle section, this cash infusion into the system to save the little guy. And here today, Alan, right before I got on, I showed that the Democrats dropped the bomb on Mitch McConnell that they want, you know, total renegotiation of, of labor agreements. They want guys on boards. They want... They want new regulations to the airline industry. They want climate change. All of these from a Democratic position may be fine, but what they're doing is taking a crisis and trying to jam it in now. And i got to tell you, Mitch McConnell's on the Senate floor as I walked up here to do this interview in the, uh, up in the Breitbart Embassy, and he's making, I think, a very statesmanlike speech to lay out the crisis before the nation. The capital markets are melting down all over the world because the Democrats are trying to use leverage of a crisis to jam through their political agenda. Now, I'm not opining whether their political agenda is right or wrong. My point is that we want to try to save the American economy and the American worker and the little entrepreneur, the, the, the person that owns a dry cleaners with 10 employees, someone that owns a yoga studio or somebody with a small restaurant. You have to get this cash to them this week. It needs to get through the system and approved. And I gotta tell you, Chuck Schumer, and now Nancy Pelosi has essentially come out and said, hey, guys, I'm putting up another bill 
we're going to pass it, and then we'll sit down and negotiate. This thing, to me, looks like, at least as right now, when I came up here, it's a week away. And honestly, we don't have a week. We've got to start getting this cash to American workers. So people should understand that the Democrats are playing smash mouth right now. Yeah, you know, Steve, uh, Steve Forbes actually was on this podcast last week, and he made the same point of the absolute necessity of pumping money into the system, huge chunks of money into the system so that the economy does not, in the financial markets, do not seize up. And the way the Democrats are playing politics with this is just not only irresponsible, but I think it goes even beyond that. And, um, and, Alan, and Alan, I, I, I want to say one thing, given that, you yeah. know, your audience, look, Steve Forbes, Steve Moore, and Larry Kudlow are not guys in the business of giving direct, you know, direct cash to citizens or bailing out uh, small businesses. They understand that this is a crisis that had nothing to do with the little entrepreneur and nothing to do with the American system. And that's why you have such prominent free market economists and thinkers like Kudlow and Moore and Steve Forbes are saying this is an emergency. And on the other side, I think they've been met with a, with a mailed fist of the Democratic Party. Steve, I'd like to wrap this up. And once again, I want to thank you for taking the time for sharing your point of view with the question. Many people are concerned that there may be overreaction by the government given the challenge that it's facing up. Do you see a situation where the government, whether it's on the economy or the civil liberties, freedom of speech, freedom of association being curtailed, is there a danger here in terms of uh, how this country, after the pandemic is dealt with, is going to move forward. Look, I get, this is the 245th anniversary of Patrick Henry's Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech, which was done in St. John's Church in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia. Um, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, as a native Virginian, nothing to be closer to my heart than this. I think we have to focus on how we get through this pandemic. I, I, I strongly believe that the American people will understand what their rights are and what their freedoms are. But I say in the overreaction, I, I, I'm not a biologist. I got a, I got a C in biology and prep, military prep school for my football coach. But I do know China and I know the rest of the world. And I look at what happened in Wuhan, the complete meltdown in Wuhan, the tens of thousands that died what the Chinese Communist Party did to stop the, the expansion. They literally shut down all of China for about four weeks from any economic activity. They took a massive hit in the, in the, in the month of February GDP. And if you look at Italy, and today on NBC, the Surgeon General of the United States, part of the inner circle of President Trump, and no political hack, a real a medical officer and a great scientist, he said today that New York City is trending towards Italy than, than the lockdown in China. In Italy yesterday, Alan, 33 people an hour for the entire day die, every hour on the hour. So Italy looks like another seven or 800 people could die a day. Italy is essentially in a meltdown because they did not get on top of this. So I think if you look at New York City, and he said that New York City was trending towards Italy, 
Governor Cuomo said that, Mayor de Blasio said that, the President of the United States has done extraordinary efforts to get the Army Corps of Engineers up there to help in any way possible with FEMA and all kind of assets to try to make sure that the ICU units in the, in the hospitals can withstand the onslaught of what they're going to have. And I just have to, I think, unfortunately, New York City is on the curve uh, to beat Italy. Now, hopefully, by action that's taken by the President of the United States, the United States military, the, our emergency services, the governor of New York, and the mayor, and all the great apparatus have in New York City, we can, we can turn it around at the last second. And I think it can be turned around. But this pandemic has, it could be very easily get out of control. And I think that's why we've got to shut this thing down. I know the grit and determination and just basically cussedness of the American people won't allow our freedoms and liberties to be taken uh, once we're through this pandemic. But that's what I'm a hard lockdown guy. I say we've got to get through this thing in two, three, four weeks and get on the other side of it or this is going to cause a big problem. So my philosophy is lock it down hard. Let's get through this thing in three, four weeks like the Chinese did and then get on to really confronting the Chinese Communist Party with what they did to our country and what they did to the rest of the world. Steve, with informational guidance from experts like you, the American people and our government will get through this. And, um, and again, I thank you for sharing your insights, which are extremely valuable with our audience. Thank you, Steve. Well, Alan, you're a great patriot, and your organization is the backbone of what it gives put steel in the spine of people here in Washington, D.C., and it's for you uh, and who have been in this fight for many, many years, and, and everybody that I know has so much admiration for you and the team there, that if you guys just keep it going, we need the American people to have a voice here. We need the American people, particularly people that are patriots, to make sure that they're in the room when, when these decisions are made, and if it's not for organizations like you, it's not going to happen. So. Uh, anytime I can do anything I can do for you guys, I'm, I'm honored to do. I thank you very much. And just to let you know, won't surprise you any, we're going to beat the crap out of Schumer. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> take care. Thank you. Love you. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.